I remember walking into a meeting at Caitlin's house in Malibu, and it was supposed to be, I believe, a story meeting. And it was Caitlin and all of the Jenner extended family who basically, (laughs) within five minutes of my arrival, they were like, you guys are amazing. You do such a great job on everything you do, but you're excused. And we're going to take it from here. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. We're on. All right. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we are sitting in Jeff Old's beautiful West Hollywood home to talk about really one of the most iconic shows of the past decade, and that is I Am Kate, a show that Jeff Old on the east side and Jeff Jenkins on the Buna Murray side uh, just did a remarkable job launching, creating, and you know sending it to the universe, and it's really had incredible change for all of society. So we're here to talk about I Am Kate today with Jeff Old and Jeff Jenkins. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I cleaned my kitchen. I know you can't see it out there. But it looks great. Clean. It looks great. <laughs> I'm seeing this house in the daylight for the first time, and I'm like, I'm on the wrong side of the producer equation. This house is stunning. That's going to start so many rumors that you're saying you're seeing it in the daytime for the first time. <laughs> well, usually there are amazing charity events yeah, thrown that's, here. That's true. Got that's it, true. got it. You guys don't don't meet for early morning jogs? No. 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 Pre, pre-dawn. No jogging. The pre-dawn ice falls out of my drink when I'm jogging. <laughs> All right. So, as, as you know, the content context for this show is really to examine how a great idea goes from great idea to fantastic show. And there are so many steps along the way. And Kate, to me, you know, on the surface, you think, oh, well, it's Kardashians and they can just snap their fingers and, you know, get any spinoff they want. But obviously, subject matter aside, that is just so not the case. And then when you take on a show with such important and potentially delicate subject matter as I Am Kate... Uh, there are about a hundred twists and turns that I would love for you guys to share with uh, with our audience. Mm-hmm. So let's start with you, mm-hmm. Jeff Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the light bulb, right? What was what was the moment that you realized these rumors that everyone was reading about would actually true, could actually make for an important show, a great show? You know, the show it was. Was it your idea? Was it Kate then Bruce's idea? Can you walk us through the you know sort of the inception of I Am Kate? This is a project that really came from, at that time, Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner's um, heart and soul. And that's a great thing for a producer on the producer side when the talent is leading the charge. I'm not talking the talent into doing it. You know, we've all met with celebrities who are contemplating doing a reality series. And then when they hear what's involved... They think better of it, and very often they want to go forward but have one foot in and one foot out. 
which is a recipe for disaster. Oh, you can show this part of my life, but not this part. It's an absolute recipe for disaster that we try to filter out those kind of people, right? But Bruce slash Caitlin was all in and there was nothing to be held back. So at that time, Bruce was not working with an agent. Bruce was not working with an attorney. It was, he was just on his own out in Malibu. I know. And so I was like, okay, before we go share this with E, you've got to at least get an attorney. And then um, we went, we kind of got our thoughts together of how we would approach this series, what you might see in it. Um, A very cursory pitch, not an incredibly in-depth pitch. And we took it to Jeff's office at E. I do remember that meeting. I was very excited to see Jeff's, Jeff Old's face when we said, okay, this is real and this is a pitch and it's a possibility. Um, and as I said to you before we started taping, I really do think on this particular project, whether you believe in God or some type of spirituality or fate for Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner and Buna Murray and Jeff Olden E to all line up. It really, I think, was fate to have the most famous athlete in America come out as trans, as a trans woman, to be partnered with Jeff Old, who out of all the executives in town is probably most aware and sensitive and capable of shepherding a project like that for a network. You couldn't get someone more qualified. He's the most qualified person to shepherd this project. And then to have our producing team who, you know, we have a reputation for really doing a good job and having the talents back and hopefully above all else, doing an A-plus job of the storytelling. So for all those elements to line up, it was pretty miraculous. So now we'll switch over to Jeff Old. When this pitch happened, when they came in to, you know, propose the show to you, were you still living in rumor land or had it been confirmed yet that Bruce was transitioning to Caitlin or unnamed, you know, female version of Bruce? So I'd been at E as head of programming for about three years at this point. And, you know, I, my other half of my life, my husband is very much very active in uh, the LGBTQ movement, was on the national board of directors for the human rights campaign, lots of other organizations. So for me, I had sort of a, a leg up already because I was very well versed in issues of trans community, or I thought I was, I learned about 20,000 years worth of stuff in that next year that happened, as I think we all did. But at least I had some surface knowledge and I, and I had trans people in my life. So for me, as I would watch the Kardashians, I was looking and saying like, well, this appears to me <laughs> to be what's happening. But I had an amazing executive, Don Ladogan on the E-team and Judy Sandhaven, who'd really been in the trenches with Jeff and the whole Buna-Marie team since day one of the Kardashians. You know, we would internally have that conversation, but they would say, nope, there's still no, that's not coming from production in any way. And I go, well, I don't force that. That just, it looks to me like that's what's happening here. But 
you know, that's for a, a person to decide when that transition is happening, when they're talking about it. So I do remember when uh, Dama came in and said, hey, Jeff wants to come in with Bruce. I'm like, okay, this is where we are. I suspect this is where we are. Um, but it was a really, really good first meeting. And, you know, it's interesting, like having been in the trenches with uh, the team with the Kardashians, I was very familiar with all the other Kardashians because we'd go and we'd have meetings at the house and we'd see each other, but I really had no contact with Bruce. So it was sort of my first introduction, oddly enough. Um, but it was so, when he spoke about where he was then, you could just tell this is someone who for 64 years had been living a version of themselves, which wasn't right. And so I was so in, impressed. We just mostly listened and thought, you know, and I was struck by the moment that what are the chances that this Olympian and arguably the most famous father of reality television in the world was going to transition. Um, and so it was just, I was struck by the moment and what that meant. And I think, you know, as, as Jeff Jenkins said, they did not come in with a show pitch necessarily. This was more just like, let Bruce talk. This is what's happening. And what Bruce was very smart about is he said, you know, I asked, well, why would you want to do this? And he said, the story is going to be told all around me. And at this time, there were not the rumors circulating other than just sort of gossip. And people noticed that Bruce was looking more feminine as the years went on. But it was before anything like Diane Sawyer, any of that stuff had happened. So this was pretty early. Um, and came up during that conversation, like, well, do you have, what's your story been? And then to hear Bruce talk about, you know, he'd not, he'd not been living out publicly. And he had never had a conversation with a, a trans person. He had no trans friends. So while at the same time feeling like this is so amazing, this moment we're in, we're dealing with somebody who has not really set their foot out in the world, but was brave enough to know this is who he, how I said, as he was identifying at the time, was. So it was an amazing moment, but my head immediately, and I think a lot of us went to the responsibility that that would carry. Um, and I was so impressed that Bruce at the time knew that this story was going to be told completely wrong all around him and that wanting to take ownership of the adventure and being shockingly honest that he was about to embark on a journey that he did not know what he was doing. Um, and so that was just sort of an amazing thing to realize. And I think there was a certain weight that came with that for all of us. Um, how we would tell this story and, you know, what the right approach might be, which definitely was an evolving process. Absolutely. Full of many, many twists and turns. <laughs> many twists and turns. And some turns. crazy conversations to try to figure out what we would do. Well, you talked about, Jeff Old, you just mentioned that Bruce at the time had never had a conversation with a trans person. But it also, going back to what you said, Jeff Jenkins, it sounds like Bruce had not really had many conversations with anyone um, particularly about this matter. I mean, he didn't have a lawyer, you mentioned. He was, you know, separate from his wife at the time. Did he have people in his life at the time? Uh, yes, to your point, I think Farnaz on my producing partner was one of the first people that Bruce confessed to, then myself, uh, then his sons. It was, um, I still didn't believe it. Some days I still don't believe it and think I'm going to wake up and this actually didn't happen. Because um, it's, I can't think of anybody more brave than Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, to do this on the global stage. But you brought up a point that I wanted to touch on when we had that first pitch meeting 
and Jeff Old and all of us realized Bruce doesn't really have any trans peers, no relationships, no one to relate to. It was at that point that Bruce himself and us as producers started reaching out to kind of um, influential and articulate and knowledgeable leaders in the trans community to introduce them to Bruce, Caitlin, so that in her real life, she could start to have some friends who could help her on this journey. And Bruce was cold calling some of those people. Production would arrange some of those introductions. And so soon Bruce had, you know, uh, a peer group of a dozen other trans women to kind of help him on his journey, TV show or no TV show. But I think Jeff Old was really smart in encouraging Bruce and production. Yes, this is the right path. This is who Caitlin needs to be surrounded with. These are the voices that can help not only Caitlin, but our viewer go on this journey. And we've all, we talked about the challenge of Bruce being an imperfect messenger, you know, because Caitlin Bruce is a right wing Republican conservative, which is kind of an odd starting point for someone who's about to be a trans woman on the national stage, because normally perhaps trans people are liberal Democrats. No, but the white male privilege. The white male privilege is yeah. it's yeah. it's ironic and makes yes makes Caitlyn or at the time Bruce I'm sure not uh, not who you would have imagined, which is also why I'm sure the show resonated so deeply right of the gate. Well, in a strange so way, yeah. I, I honestly, I mean, we I think we were all like at times a bit shocked by some of the conservative messages that could come out of Caitlin's mouth. But at the same time, I kept thinking, well, the, the truck driver in middle America, if he happens to be watching this, he may relate to Caitlin's conservative views and that may endear him to Caitlin. And that may allow him to join this journey of this series and that may allow him to receive some education about trans people. So in a very backwards way, even though Caitlin's choices sometimes might offend the kind of pillars of the trans community, she might have been opening a door to the everyday person who doesn't know anything about trans and could see a way to listen, if that makes sense. Yeah, when I remember those early, when we were just discussing it, and there was really just a few of us that knew what was happening because I think we all felt we didn't want to get ahead of her story. You know, I was always prepared for at any moment. She may choose not to share the story publicly, and we would never pressure her. We went through, I think, some, and I would refer, because by the time we got together the second time, we went over to Bruce's house for dinner, and it was Caitlin. So I'm like, okay, so here we, here we are. And so 
Um, it was really, and it was startling to me, just the difference, I don't think it was about a week apart, the difference of sitting with Bruce and then a week later sitting at dinner with Caitlin. And Caitlin was so comfortable in her skin. And it was so like, okay, this is like, we just see a person who was in prison and then a person who was free. So that was really sort of remarkable. But, you know, we also realized like she'd figured this out on her own. She, she had not been a part of the gay community. She'd not been part. So, you know, as, as I'll say something close to what you said, I remember telling her at one point, you're the, you're the most inconvenient, most famous trans person on the planet. She's a very conservative Republican. And, you know, I think as we were, you know, trying to figure out what this show might be, you know, one of the first people we brought into Kate, Kate's life was Jenny Boylan, who my husband Alan had known through work with GLAAD. And I said, God, if we were going to bring one person to start this conversation with Kate, goes, it's Jenny Boylan. Jenny Boylan is a revered figure in the trans community, best-selling author, a real pioneer. You know, even though a lot of us that worked on the show were gay and lesbian, that's a whole different experience than the trans community. And what they kept pointing out to us is like, she's incredibly privileged. She's white. She is, has resources that 99.9% of other trans people are not. So her experience is going to be entirely different. And I think you guys, after just that first, I think we, the first thing we shot was a dinner. And we shot that thing. It's the first time Kate had been in a room openly with other trans people. And I think it was after that, we went, well, that's the show. She's going to learn what it means to be a trans person through other trans people. She was in no position, no way, shape, form, and she'd be the first person to say this. And I do, you know, give her credit for that. She never wanted to be, I'm going to tell everybody what it is. So the show really became, she would learn what it would be. And those other trans people, you know, would guide her. But, you know, really early on in the process too, you know, Kate was very clear that she did not want this. She definitely wanted Guna Murray to be the producers because she loved them. They were like family members to her and she trusted them. And but she did not want it to be a Kardashian spinoff. She wanted it to be her own thing. So I remember there was at one point, for a variety of meetings that you could sort of see the hesitation coming in. I think certain family members in the head and certain other people like, is this the right company to do this with? And is this the right network for her to do it with? I, I could tell she was sort of hedging around it. And I go, let's just get this out. You're wondering, should you go with some high art producers and should you do this on HBO or some other platform? But the thing I told her, I go, you have storytellers you love and you trust, and you're at a home network that your show will air in 160 countries mm -hmm. all around the world, already pre-cleared, translated into 26 different languages. Mm -hmm. So you're going to reach people that have been watching the Kardashians for years and years and have grown up knowing you, and they're going to watch the experience of now I go, so if your goal is to reach as many people in as many corners of the world as you can to meet their first transgender person and to hear stories about transgender people, there's no question you should tell your story here. If your goal is an Emmy, and if your goal is to make people in New York and LA rave about your show, probably not the network for you. And, you, and you'll have to make that decision. And, you know, there were some kind of intense meetings where a lot of voices were chiming in. And I have to really hand it to Caitlyn Jenner. She stood up at the end of that and said, I've made up my mind. 
I want the farthest possible reach to the biggest possible global audience. And I'm doing the show at E. I'm doing the show with Jeff and Fernaz and Andrea. So that was like, because there were tides that did not want that to happen. Because um, you knew as soon as it's like, oh, it's, it's the e, e will be doing her show. You can write the headlines. And everybody prejudged what we were going to do. And it was going to be a train wreck. And, you know, for the simple reason, mostly that E is known as the fun, guilty pleasure escapist network. But I think, you know, to the credit of the storytellers and the producing side of it, we understood we had something that we didn't want to screw up. So to that point, the process at E, how, how was it different and how did you lead that charge in making it different and making sure all the departments realized it was going to be different versus any other Kardashian spinoff or any other show, frankly, on the channel? No knock against any of those shows, but they're light and they're frothy. This is not. I Am Kate was a departure. And so what, what sort of gears needed to be turned internally to make sure that everyone lockstep understood the mission here and the goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I really have to credit everybody on the E side, you know, Francis, Adam Stotsky. We kept it very, very small. Um, we, A, did not want the story to be pre-framed. We did not want to get out in front of Caitlyn Jenner before she had officially said she was transitioning. And it came together fairly quickly. We made a lot of choices to the show to follow the story that, you know, you knew on the surface, like, okay, we're going to get the audience there because there's going to be a curiosity factor. But if we do our job well, we will please no one. The audience that's coming wanting a crazy, crazy reality show isn't going to get it because we weren't going to let that happen. And an audience that wanted the most educational documentary version of this, that wasn't going to happen or people were not going to be watching the show all around the world. So we had to kind of find that balance a little bit. And, um, you know, we benefited from amazing producers um, who sort of told us where the story was going. And we stepped back to a large degree. Um, to a large degree, we stepped back. My, I knew they would tell a great story and I knew they were telling an authentic story. And then we had to sort of throw on the layer on top of that. Like we really pulled in GLAAD uh, as an organization um, to really help us. And it became a, a, a lot of elbows because the show GLAAD would want perfectly wasn't the show that was right for Kate to tell. And it wasn't a show that was going to get enough viewers that we could make a dent and a difference. So it was, we really worked so closely with Nick Adams at GLAAD. And about here's the flags and Jenny Boylan and other people on the show really helped us go, you, here is where we're stepping into it. And it was hard <laughs> with Caitlin because, you know, and she'd be the first to say this. She didn't know what she was doing. This is all absolutely new for her. She had made for her what her truth was, but that was not going to be the truth for most trans people. So it was sort of this combination we had to figure out, which it had to be authentic to Kate. It had to be authentic to the other trans people that felt they're on the show. We still had to make a TV show. We couldn't exploit, but then we couldn't bore everybody. Um, and so, you know, we tried to take a bit of a hands-off approach. They would tell us the story they were getting. They would show us the story they were getting. And then we would make sure we had enough trans people that were looking at those cuts with us to say what was problematic. And the truth is, we kept a lot of stuff that was problematic. But then we took their advice. How do we take that and then turn it into something that's informative? So it's we can't sanitize this. And Kate, God bless her, would step into it every single day. 
and was the first to admit that she didn't know. And so it was sort of a crash course, I think, for, for everybody involved. Yeah, an incredible balance through the whole process, trying to make it as familiar feeling to the e-viewer as possible, but it's not definitively not a Kardashian spinoff. It's not a Kardashian show. It's not about, you know, you stole my sweater. Um, (laughs) Well, and that also became like, we had to figure that part of it out. We wanted it to be its distinct thing, but we had this other huge part of the equation, the story, which was the Kardashian family and sort of. That's only slightly important to E. Yeah, hugely important. I, and I know, um, you know, early on as we were talking to Bruce at the time about the kind of show he want to make and that definitely wanted to, you know, feel like it was his before he transitioned story. Um, you know, we had to make sure we kept the Kardashian, like wanted to make, you know, obviously hugely, hugely important and not a side note in the story at all. And how that, how we were going to do that so that we allowed the family the opportunity to to have a voice in it, but it was a little, you know, this was not easy stuff as it wouldn't be for any family. And it was very challenging. It yeah. was. And I know early mm-hmm. on, um, you know, we sort of decided Don Ladogan, we thought, well, Don, you know, you and I should just go sit down with Chris. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about with the Kardashian family, which I always have loved is like everyone, what are they like? I go, they're so shockingly normal in so many ways. I mean, Whenever we'd go and have the production meetings, we'd go up to the house and we'd sit around Chris's table and everybody would eat salad out of cartons. And we'd just talk about the show and about storylines and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think early on we wanted to go and talk to Chris about, you know, just aware that, and, you know, I, you know, so there's no surprises that are coming that we're going to be making the show. And I think, you know, early on we realized that, so, you know, and, and it's interesting now, it makes more sense. I think conversations that Caitlin might have felt she'd had with Chris and with the family on Chris's side of it, that's not what she heard. And, um, you know, I think as you've sort of learned now from their different versions of the stories, they each have a very different recollection of what was known in the family. And um, what's interesting is talking to, that's not abnormal in any family, where especially when there's an adult parent figure that's transitioned, it's not uncommon that the person transitioning thinks they've had a lot more conversations than they have. And it's not uncommon for the people and the family members on the other side to think this is newer news than it is. Selective hearing, selective speaking. So we definitely had to sort of get through that period as well. And I really hand it to the Kardashians. I have to say, like, the way we decided to do this was with two family specials about called about Bruce, which the family also made a similar kind of, I think, conclusion, which is, and they had to think about it. And we always left it to their choice. The story will be told all around you um, or, and they didn't really want to talk about it, or you can tell it from your point of view, however it feels true to you. And that's, let that speak for itself. And I have to hand it to Chris, to Kim, Chloe, um, Courtney, they ended up doing that. And it's some of the rawest television I've ever seen. And, you know, that had an enormous audience. I mean, you sort of think about moving the dial. So that you have the whole Kardashian audience, which is ginormous around the world, watching both of those specials, which had millions of viewers, dealing with a parent that was transitioning, I think, in the most just 
you know, emotionally ripping, gripping, but compelling and real way. They didn't have to do that. And, and, and they did that. And I think that was really brave of them. And I think it was really brave of Caitlin because it wasn't always pretty. It's still complicated. But um, the amount of awareness, I would imagine, like when people look a decade from now, back to awareness pre-Caitlyn Jenner about trans people and people who, to, if you ask that question, do you feel like you've ever met or seen a trans person? You know, the show's not a one-shot thing for that. Obviously, there's a lot of things happening, but it, it definitely was a jolt to the world. Oh, it put the yeah. subject on the map. I think before I Am Kate, before you greenlit this series, I don't think the average American knew what trans even meant. And once this show started... You're on the subject is on the cover of Time magazine. Obama is talking about it in uh, in press meetings and the the subject of uh, bathroom signage is a hot topic. All of that is because of Caitlyn Jenner and E and Jeff Old making this project happen. I think it's a huge piece of history. A huge appreciate that. I would say what it was is it was an added spotlight to a movement that is the next civil rights sure. movement in this country. And I think what it did is it shined a very big light on things that were already happening. And I think what Bina Murray did that was so smart, we took the show to places where the story was coming before us. In Houston, where ordinance had been passed and laws against transgender people using the battle. The show took the cast to the people who were fighting the battle and challenge that and Kate and the rest of the cast using the restrooms and putting that on a television show. So we didn't uh, necessarily change the conversation. What we did is we brought a spotlight to stuff that was happening in an accessible way where people weren't necessarily going and trying to learn about transgender people, but here it is on this very big show. Um, And I think it used the opportunity and having honestly the family, Kim sort of uh, learning that. I think that, um, you know, that was very real. I mean, All of that was incredibly real. You spoke also, Jeff Old, about the importance of having that side of the story, the family's response. When Bruce uh, came, when we pitched E, there were, as Jeff Old said, some family members, um, some of the Jenner family members who were, um, who felt that, you know, E was all about the Kardashians and dad won't be served well because now dad and and Chris have broken up. And so E's not the place for dad. And so we think he should go somewhere else and start fresh with a new company. And, you know, um, they're trying, you know, the Jenner family looking out for their dad. But, um, and, and dad had that option, like Jeff Old said, yeah, we could have gone to HBO and worked with a different production company and would have been a whole different experience. Um, but Caitlin Bruce knew what she knew what she wanted and reaching the largest amount of people was number one, which I think is a really great choice, but that was a very sticky time. I remember walking into a meeting at Caitlin's house in Malibu And it was supposed to be, I believe, a story meeting like, okay, we're going to do let's let's go to, you know, like (laughs) Jeff said, let's go to Houston and do that. So I go in there thinking, oh, we're going to have a great story meeting. And it was Caitlin and all of the Jenner extended family 
who basically <laughs> within five <laughs> minutes of my arrival with my producing partners, Farnaz Farjam and Andrea Metz, within five minutes, they were like, you guys are amazing. You do such a great job on everything you do, but you're excused and we're going to take it from here. And I was like, oh, you okay. came to the firing squad. You had no idea. I had no idea. It was like, talk about pull a fast one or pull the rug out from under you. Because there was uh, there were members of, of Bruce's family, or Caitlin's family, excuse me, who felt they wanted to protect dad. And this is what he should be doing, not that. And I think also to Caitlin's credit, she listened to all her family members. She had those meetings. She weighed all the options. And made her own decision, um, which I would have respected. I'm glad that she chose what she chose. But um, I also do just want to mention in there, because we haven't talked about them very much, my producing partners, Farnaz Farjam and Andrea Metz. I believe that um, Farnaz was one of Bruce's closest confidants when he was wrestling with the idea of finally ripping the Band-Aid off, pulling the trigger, and transitioning. They were incredibly close. We all call her the fourth Kardashian sister. So for her to remain very close with the Kardashian women and also be this incredibly close confidant to Bruce, I think was really um, incredibly emotionally challenging for her. It's almost like being the child of parents who are divorcing in a way. Um, and then uh, Andrea Metz, who, you know, a big part of my job as an executive producer is choosing the right showrunner, right? And I've gotten it wrong before, and that really sucks. But I'm really happy. I was like, oh, once I saw and I chose Andrea Metz and Jeff Old, he approved of her. And she was just the perfect fit, not only with Caitlin, but with all the trans people who were on the show. I was like, oh, I picked well. I earned my check this month. Um, An incredible showrunner who put her heart and soul into this franchise and lived it for a year. Absolutely. I mean, she moved out to a little rental house near uh, Caitlin's house in Malibu and just practically lived this journey with him for a year. I cannot sing her praises enough. And this franchise, these seasons, these episodes would not be what they are without her. But I can't, I don't think the project would have happened without Farnaz's relationship with Bruce when he was weighing the options You know, I know part of him, and he's spoken about this, it's not gossip, part of him was considering just taking his own life, ending his life. I think another part of him was contemplating just living in Malibu forever as Bruce in seclusion. And then another part of him, the part that won, was, no, I'm going to live my authentic self and I'm going to transition and I'm going to have my true authentic self on this planet before my, you know, time here is over. So to that option though, there's a fourth one, which, you know, which Caitlin Bruce did not follow, or I'm sorry, did follow, which is 
I'm going to live my authentic self and I'm going to make a television show about it. Well, to Jeff Old's point, it's almost like she didn't have a choice because if she didn't own it and tell her story, every media outlet, journalist, everyone's going to tell it for her and it will not be told properly. So it made sense for her to do it. I still think when I look back on everything, she is the bravest person I've ever met. I can't imagine doing that on the world stage. I just can't with, especially with her backstory when it's expected that she be the symbol of the all American male. I mean, if you wrote it as a screenplay, people would say it's preposterous that this symbol of all American malehood is going to transition in her sixties. I can't I think remember. that's so true. And I yeah. think just going from that, Oh, we're meeting with Bruce to then the next week we're having dinner with Caitlin. I mean, she walked, open the door looking like that. Well, if you're only used to seeing Bruce and then suddenly Caitlin, it was amazing. Like you could sort of see it was the full version of her, but it was shocking and striking. And she was so hot. And people walked yeah. in. I'm like, you're fucking Cindy Crawford. I yeah. Mean, that was the big comparison. The Cindy Crawford. I'm like, Oh my God. I go, you've been really practicing with this. And, um, but I think in her mind, she also knew that if she just transitioned and didn't have any, a, she'd have to be talking about it forever. And B, it was all going to be about an obsession over her physical transformation and surgery and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the overwhelming amount of transgender people don't have the resources to do that. So I think it would have all been, and, and she did some smart things, controversial, but smart. The first time anybody saw her was on the cover of Vanity Fair. She took a lot of heat for that, but I think it was smart. It's like, let's just do this. Here it is. It couldn't be more glamorous. Here's the shot that you want. Let's move on. Because then the next time you saw her was the Espies and I Am Kate premiere. So that was smart on her part because she didn't leave a lot of time out there. And I think she knew people would be obsessed with it. And we made a definite decision for the show. And Kate, certainly, we listened to her, what she wanted to do, not to focus in on the surgery, not to focus in on that, because that's the side point. Um, and it's also beyond the reach of most trans people. So we got into it like, and have trans people talk about what surgery means within the community and how, you know, quote unquote, passing versus not that and all that, what that brings in terms of the trans community, you know, it's not a cohesive and there's a lot that's going on with it. Um, I think she didn't want the whole conversation to be about that. And she wanted to follow up with something that had, you know, more substance to it. Did you guys have a checklist? I mean, you've talked about GLAD, you've talked about, you know, the trans leaders, you've talked about E, you've talked about the Kardashians, the Jenners, all these various people who, even though this was Caitlyn's decision, are there any of the people, if they would have said no, would it have derailed you? I guess is the question I'm trying to ask. Well, I don't think. Outside of I mean, you know, I don't Caitlin think, herself. I don't, you'd have to ask them, and I don't know if my memory is completely accurate, I don't think, you know, the Kardashians were thrilled that this series was going to take place. You know, if that was my dad, I wouldn't want that series to take place. It's too much. It's like that's oh, that takes a lot of strength to weather that. So I get that perspective. At the same time, they respect Caitlyn. It's her choice. It's her journey. 
actually supported her by appearing on her series here and there. Um, so everyone wasn't all, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, they weren't jumping up and down with good news. They just, you know, they were also, a, a nuclear bomb had gone on, had just gotten on, gone off in this family. I mean, truly, as it does with every family, it takes the bravery and the courage of the person that's transitioning to be honest and open with the family. It takes bravery and courage of the family who has to, you know, remit. and it was happening so quickly and there was no way to slow that train. It's not like other families where this happens quietly or behind closed doors. The world was going to be watching regardless, whether or not, and the world was going to comment on it and make up their minds about the stories. And, you know, the Kardashians have been on television for 10 years. They understand how this works. And they understand. as a profession. I mean, I I read that. That's their talent is sharing. It is what it, and I think like, you know, we would never press like on this point, like, like, look, it would feel odd for you guys not to talk about this as a family, as it's one of the most significant things to happen to this family. But I would respect that if they decided not to. But I think that that's the deal they made. They, re- they you, share their lives. They realized we have to, we have to share this. There's yeah. no way to hide from it. We have to address it. We have to deal with it. And, and I think on their home network yeah. with the producers that have literally been a part of the family producing their, their show and sort of living in their lives and in their homes... I think there was a trust there that they knew it wasn't going to go off the rails and it wasn't going to trash them. If anything, I think, you know, we really tried to be respectful. And I thought that was seeing the family dynamic was far more relatable to the average person. And, and when you think about this, it's like the show's airing in places where it's illegal to be gay. Yet you're turning on your TV in the middle of Africa and... There's a bunch of trans people going to challenge bathroom laws in, in Texas. So I think, and you know, and Kim especially and stuff, I think they also understood this was a cultural moment and that it was important. They probably would have in a million years rather it was happening to someone else. But it happened to be happening to them, which, as you say, you couldn't write that either. I mean, just I take mean, the if, you, if you want to get the trans awareness out into the world as an issue to be dealt with. There's what better way to do it than on keeping up with the yeah. Kardashians that even though people say, Oh, I don't watch that show. I don't Everybody watches that show. You at least see it when you're on the treadmill at the gym. That's the way to, it's just, like I said earlier, it's fate, man. It, it, that particular situation, I think it was meant to be. And you're right, Kim, because mom, Chris was really still, just kind of reeling from that, as Jeff Old said, nuclear bomb that went off within that family. Kim really picked up the baton of leadership in that family and was the calm, cool, collected voice of reason and kind of the emissary communicator between Caitlin and the family at the times when it was really sticky. You know, Kendall and Kylie, that's their dad. They're still kind of babies. I don't even think Kylie was 18. Um, So they were kind of, you know, just everyone wanted to protect them. Chloe was losing her mind over the whole thing. Courtney being Courtney was like, you know, in Calabasas eating sprouts. And uh, so Kim had to step up. She did an amazing job. I thought she did an amazing job. What is the legacy of I Am Kate for you from your perspective? Yeah. Um, well, 
I think when this walked in my door, I just thought of the opportunity that we had beyond the TV of it. It was so much past that, like to have this moment, this story, like Jeff Jenkins said, if you wrote this, you wouldn't be able to believe this story of the most famous Olympian, the most famous TV father with the most famous family in the world going through this experience. To me, we had, the TV was just the vehicle to expose people to a, a trans storyline that they probably never would have done. I mean, just being a member of the gay community, the thing that changes hearts and minds the most when you look at how the gay movement has moved so much more quickly than most civil rights movement is because people increasingly felt like they knew someone who was gay. And so, and, you know, the truth is, like, if you look at the gay movement, the GLBT movement versus, like, African-Americans, um, or something else, you know, gay people pop up in everybody's home and in everybody's community, no matter if you live in Mississippi, if you live on a farm, if you live in a city, gay people pop up all over the place. And so when gay people started coming out and living openly, it changed at a record pace how people felt because they felt they knew somebody. Do either of you have any regrets as it pertains to the show? Do you think Caitlin has any regrets as it pertains to the I show? I don't have any regrets. I think the thing that I wish we could have captured was Caitlin is a right-wing conservative Republican. And no matter what the other gals on the bus would try to school her with, that was an unshakable position. And as Jeff Old said, Caitlin said, I'm going to work from the inside out. I am a Republican. I'm going to get into that party and I'm going to make change. If I have a regret, it's that we didn't get to film the next chapter of that story. The next chapter of that story is that when, and you'll remember this, when Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, I want to kill myself saying that. That's probably the first (laughs) time I said it. Um, he invited kind of global influencers to come meet with him at Trump Tower. I think Kanye met with him, you know, and a handful of other very famous influential people. Caitlin asked for a meeting. Trump would not meet with her. That, to me, I hope, and I haven't spoken to Caitlin since that happened, I don't know if it's possible at this point in her life, but I hope maybe that was a light bulb. Like, wow, there is prejudice. It's it's not Bruce Jenner walking into the White House. It's Caitlyn Jenner trying to walk in the White House and she's not wanted. Heavy stuff, important stuff. Happy note. (laughs) We did have fun too. (laughs) Before we end, we should talk about some fun things. Uh, And I think there's obviously a lot of fun out of this show and it will have a great legacy. It already is. And as you mentioned, conversations about the military and, you know, overturning some of these, you know, very prejudiced bathroom bills. I mean, these are things that were not really being debated or discussed on a, you know, as global or as national of a scale prior. So this show will have a legacy that many, many others you know, couldn't even hope to. Um, let's talk about the two of you guys and your relationship, because I think one thing that's very clear is that there's a lot of affection here um, that I'm sure... I love you, Jeff. I love you, Jeff. <laughs> that I'm sure came about 
through many years and, you know, being in the, you know, trenches together on all these shows. I mean, did you two meet through work or did you know each other previously? We worked on a project for VH1 and I was very green and we had some good times on that show. (laughs) And I being very green also made a lot of mistakes on that show. And I think Jeff at one point kind of threw his hands up with me and was like, who is this nut? It was called... Uh, old School with Terry oh and Dita. Oh, my Gita. God. Yes, yes, yes. This was a yes. show that was <laughs> so tricky because this it was Jen basically... Yeah. Who I adore. Uh, it was basically like uh, similar to The Simple Life, but with 80-year-old women, 80-year-old sheltered women who'd never been out. And every episode, they're going to go out and experience an aspect of modern culture. And we shot this show, and it tested through the roof. But then it's like, okay, where are we putting this on the calendar, are people going to watch two 80-year-olds? So it was a delightful project, but it was kind of, you know, uh, just problematic in that way. But, um, and then a few years later, uh, Jeff became the head of E! And so, and if if I'm remembering this incorrectly, I want to hear... And so I was like, oh, my God, I worked with Jeff on Terry and Gita, old school. He thinks I'm a crazy person. I got to take him out to lunch and reconnect. So we went out to lunch, and Jeff was so gracious. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even remember that. We're going to have a good time. And he dove right into all things Kardashian and was so supportive of us. Unlike other execs, got right you know, it was right there, like he said, at Chris Jenner's house in the thick of things, having to deal with all the complexities of a globally famous demanding cast. Didn't hide from that um, reality or responsibility. It was just a huge support. And I immediately had uh, an incredible respect for him when I witnessed how he came on board to that project. But when we started I Am Kate, as I said at the beginning of this chat, his bold leadership, it really did blow me away. I was like, wow, I don't feel like I'm in this alone. I don't feel like it's all on my shoulders. I don't feel like um, the network is breathing down my neck to get this perfect and a better rate and it better be awesome. And I better have, you know, three laughs every 30 seconds. We just felt so supported and encouraged. I have not had an experience like it before or after. It is definitely my favorite and most meaningful experience in 20 years of doing this. I will never forget it. I'm so honored to have been a teeny part of it, truly. A huge part of it. Well, I, it's so funny. Like when we, that was my first week at E and we had that lunch and you were so worried. I thought, Jeff, I go, that was 3,000 years ago. I mean, there's like 20 crazy producers since then. It was so funny. He was so worried about it. And I thought, no, we gave it a shot. It didn't work. It probably would have worked now, which is right. the funny thing. We were right. just ahead of the old lady time. Um, but no, I mean, I it's, it's one of those producer relationships that I, I really love and value. Having been a former producer, I always brought my producer hat into when I moved over to being an executive, knowing that. The executive is only as good as the storytellers that want to work with him. It's just like with producers. 
they're only as good as the talent that they can draw to them the story. So you want to be the place that is collaborative. It's fun. It's partnership. It shouldn't be adversarial. Listen, sometimes it just doesn't work. A project doesn't work. A producer and executive just don't, don't get along. But I've been really lucky at VH1 and at E to have really connected with great producers. You know, didn't hurt that I was walking into something that was already a hugely successful hit franchise with the Kardashians that, you know, on my side, Domla had been in the trenches already working on for so long. So we were starting from a great place, but it's just so fun, like with his Jeff's team also for Nas and Andrea and Russell, there was just such a deep bench of really talented producers that, and on my side, I had a really great executive team that you could just sort of complete each other's sentences and you sort of get like, ah, great. I got it. Like that's the best groove you can get in because then you're all sort of in it together. Like, you, you know, they walk in, I'm like, I'm not worried you're gonna be able to sell a story. I don't need to get like, what are we going for here? Sort of what are the, what are the, what's the thing that makes the show a hit? What do we think is the soul of it? And then get out of the way because they obviously know how to tell a story. Of course, you know, executives that work with me work more closely with it, but you're not, I mean, you're not starting with a situation where, oh my God, they can't tell a story. I mean, that's, you know, as an executive, that's really where you are. If you can answer that fear, like, oh my God, they can't tell a story. If you can take that off the table, the rest of it's very easy. Because if you're working with producers who can tell a story and know what the story is, then my side becomes very easy. It's keep everybody away from it and let it become something and let it have a clear point of view. And, you know, not, you know, you're not given awards by note by the pound. Um, And I love doing that. Like I always say to my executives, if you're giving huge amounts of notes on something, you know, you're in, on a season two, you've got bigger problems ahead of you. Like, you know, the best thing you can say as an executive is, I loved it. You know, and we don't always get there. But when you find that relationship and, you know, we went on to do Divas and oh, yeah. Divas Kylie and, and Robin China and Total Bellas. Total Bellas. And, you know, Lots of it's good fun stuff. because yeah. you just can kind of like keep rolling with it. And you just keep getting to work with people that you love and you respect and you keep getting to have fun. That's the real fun when you're an executive, when you can fall into that groove with the producer. So why do you think more relationships aren't like the one I'm seeing right here when it comes to the producer executive relationship? Can we, you know, collectively do anything to get it back to that? I think that the executives on the network side who are confident in themselves have those relationships with their producers of content. That's my opinion. When someone is unsure of their own capabilities or their own vision or their own ability to share a vision or communicate their perspective, I think that's when it gets challenging. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time right now uh, in our business. And a lot of things are, there's things we can control and there's things that we can't control. You know, I always go back to my mentor who I was lucky to meet 25 years ago, Brian Graydon, who is a dear, dear friend, but it was truly my mentor. And I, I'll never forget, he just, he told me, boiled the development down to me in a very simple statement, which he said, tell me a story I can't stop talking about. Show me a character I can't stop thinking about. The rest is, that's it. That was the same thing 
50 years ago. It's the same thing 20 years ago. It's the same thing today. It'll be the same thing 50 years from now. So it's always the key to it. And I think what's happening is linear television is getting constricted, which we cannot control. Uh, the fear sort of goes up. So everybody sort of decides, well, the answer to that is put a bigger checklist together. Here's the secret formula. A lot of time is spent in meetings, boiling shows down to the secret ingredients. And does it have this? And does it have that? And it's like, you got to chuck that list because you're never going to find creative inspiration in that. And you're going to drive the producers crazy. They won't have original thoughts. They'll try to check all the boxes. And so to me, that seems like it's happening because it's harder and harder to find a hit. Um, and I think it's on the executive side, what we owe to producers, especially on the linear cable side. It's not a story that anybody on the linear cable side wants to hear. It's not news they like to hear. But here's the deal. That audience is shrinking. That is not a trend that's going to get better. We will not teach Kylie Jenner and her friends to watch linear television. That's not going to happen. So you have to kind of look at where we are that that model is changing. And so how are you defining success? What makes a show successful? Does it make sense to keep throwing more and more shows out there that are out with, you know, 2% awareness? You're just sort of, I always say, trotting the bodies out in the beaches of Normandy and then throwing the next one on top of it. So I think for linear ad-supported cable TV, it's going to require executives to come to Jesus and have a different conversation about what success looks like. And if you find a show that you truly believe in, do you get behind it for a couple of seasons to see if you can get some traction with it versus, hey, the first three episodes didn't work, so it's a dud. The audience may not even know it's on until the second season. So that's what I think the executives need to do and the producers need to find hits, mm -hmm. find something fresh that does not feel derivative. It's really hard because we've seen so much and scripted is so good. There's so much good stuff. And Friends is on, by the way. <laughs> so like to find that lightning in a bottle, non-scripted idea is harder and harder. And I think it's up to the producers to really be relentless on themselves to find something that or someone that feels truly original because they're operating with executives that are afraid. So they're on their side checking off all the boxes and everyone's got to stop checking boxes and try to find something that feels more breakout, which is why I think streaming and digital are really going to offer um, some really unique opportunities to get more creative again. Breakout, like uh, maybe the most famous athlete in the world becoming a woman. Yes, <laughs> that's good. That's like, that doesn't that's walk loud. you through your door every day. So when you said, when did we decide we were going to do it? When Bruce walked through the door. <laughs> that's the moment. So there it is. The full story of I Am Kate. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thanks as well to our guests, Jeff Old and Jeff Jenkins, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. Since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>